What forges commitment? In America's Navy, you'll think about quitting. From the drills, the aches, the cold. But shipmates face every challenge as one. Every push to the edge. Every call to defend. Because out here, we're part of something bigger. A force that never quits. The sea forges commitment in every sailor. America's Navy. Forged by the sea. Discover commitment at Navy.com. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Fight Back 2020. My name is Willie Lawson, and uh, this is a this is a sort of a special edition of this broadcast. I wanted to play for you an interview that I actually just completed with Mike Perotti, a um, candidate for state attorney. Uh, I, I, I want and I wanted to get this out as quickly as I could because it is it is still fresh. It's still fresh in my memory. It's still fresh. As a matter of fact, the sandwich, the taste of the uh, Duncan sandwich is still wafting in my nostrils. That's how, that's how fresh this is. So we want to get this interview out as, as soon as we possibly can. Uh, so I came home, I did a little work and um, it's up now. It is in, 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 in the Dunkin' Donuts. And so there is going to be background noise. I'm, I'm letting you know right now that going, there's going to be background noise. We didn't do it in the studio. Uh, we didn't do it in a real quiet office. We did it in, you know, in a public place, uh, and um, I thought that, that that was a a better thing to do. And the Dunkin' Donuts is that we were at was on Hillsborough Avenue, um, in East Tampa. So there you go. And I've already made as many excuses for the audio as I as I am going to make. Uh, it was inter- it was interesting. Um, Terry Castro, one of the Republican politicos contacted me uh, a couple Saturdays a couple Saturdays ago that I should interview uh, Mike Perotti uh, because it would be interesting and Terry Terry Castro you were right honey you were right it was super it was super interesting and I am and I and I, and I am you know what I'm I am thankful that you were able to to get my attention so I could you know what do this interview with Mike it was again very, very interesting, very, very exciting, um, and again, I am looking. I am so looking forward to the campaign. Uh, we do these things because, I mean, you know, Fight Back Media exists because we are interested in what happens locally first. Now, Fight Back Media does. We do a lot of commentary on what happens. Uh, on the you know on the national stage that is that is for true we do a lot as a matter of fact and to some people <laughs> for some people probably too much but we do a lot no doubt but there is a there's there's always been a local component to what we do um, even my friend Paul Swanson uh, will post on the Fightback Media or the Morning Report page things that are happening there and you know locally in the place that he lives because a lot of times that same stuff is happening where you are it just is right everything's everything is happening everywhere at some level right everything is happening somewhere at some level so we you know we try to try to make sure that uh, we keep some local flair 
and 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 it makes a lot of sense to do that and it's and it's simply it is simply because it's simply because if you take care of things that are local if you take care of it when it's at the local level you might not have to worry about it later you feel me if you can take care of it at the local level you may not have to worry about it later and i have i i've always and we've always been a big believer in that here at fightback media which is why we have this there we go make sure i get the right file up um there we go this interview now this interview is about 35 minutes and again i apologize for the sound quality we did it in a public place we did the best we could do with the situation that we had at hand so again um now that uh we got a couple of people who are um listening to the podcast we're going to go ahead and start the interview with uh, my interview with mike Perotti, candidate for state attorney's office republican um, here in Hillsborough County. Well, good morning. Uh, again, my name is Lloyd Lawson, and this is Fight Back 2020. What we do is we get out and we talk to folks and, and look at what's going on in our community like we've always done. Nothing's really changed. Yeah, there's a national picture going on, but what we've always done at, fight, at fightbackmedia.com is let people know that if you focus in locally, some of the things that we've been experiencing nationally, maybe we can avert. Because a lot of these people get elevated through through systems and when we're not paying attention and suddenly now we've got what we have in the national picture. Now we have people in the Senate for 150 years and now they're ruling our in, in our lives in a way that now we have questions with. So we start here. I, I am <clears throat> pleased and happy that um, Mike Perotti, who is running for um, state attorney in Hillsborough County, where I live, is nice enough to sit down for a few minutes and talk to us about his campaign and what he sees in Hillsborough County and what he sees as his part in making changes that are positive for not just a, a Republican constituency, but everybody. So we are here at one of my favorite places, which is bizarre here, but is at the Duncan in East Tampa because I like to have candidates come to my neighborhood. And I want a sandwich before I leave. And he's going to get a sandwich because, you know, you know, some of those croissant sandwiches are, well, you know how they are. So That's how I got this way. <laughs> um, so, um, Ms. Ms. Prodi, thank you ever so much for uh, spending some time with us this morning here on Fight Back 2020. Let my listeners <clears throat> and all our all the people who are going to watch, who are going to see what hear the podcast on on Facebook, let them know who you are, what you're running for, and why. Well, I, first of all, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, as you said, my name is Mike Perotti, and, and I'm a third generation, third generation Tampa native. Yes, go ahead and do that. Um, I've, I've lived here my entire life, and um, all over Tampa, by the way. I, I've moved 14 times as a child as we moved. I was actually born off 22nd Street over in the university area in a duplex. Um, I've lived in the French Quarter apartments, the Cortez apartments. I've lived in Ruskin. I've lived in, uh, Jesus, in you Fern Place. Ruskin? I lived in Ruskin. <laughs> I now live in town and country. Um, and and so to say that I am so you speak Spanish. Somebody I did when I was younger. I can <laughs> I can fake it now. I can order is what I can do. I'm 
good enough to order a cafe con leche when I need one. But so I am from this city. I am of this city, and and in watching the division and the the spin that has come to be part of our reality, um, instead of taking problems and, and immediately working to solutions together. We take problems and we use them to drive wedges, and we use them to put us in boxes that says you're either with us or against us. Um, I, I decided to run for this critical position that is the state attorney. And, and everywhere else in the United States, it seems like it's called the district attorney. It's the DA. It's the chief prosecutor. It's, it's the one position that literally sits uh, in, that, in that critical seat of deciding what type of a community we're going to be from a tolerance, from a criminal behavior, what's acceptable, what's not, how do we weigh compassion for those that need help against accountability for those that are causing harm to our community, and based on my background and, and all the unique uh, opportunities that I've had already in my professional life, I thought it was time that I get out front and try and lead and, and, uh, and, and, and help my community. Well, that is absolutely fantastic. Um, I'll, I'll just get to it. What have you seen that's in the, in the state attorney's office that you can address directly to make the kind of changes that you're thinking about, that well, you were thinking about? I started seeing it before I actually started my campaign because I, I, two things. First of all, as in-house counsel for the sheriff's office, I see the, the efforts um, of law enforcement, sometimes, um, sometimes well done, sometimes misplayed. Um, I see their, their efforts where they are spending a lot of time trying to go after some hardened criminals that, that have been in and out. I mean, the people that have violent charges, uh, weapons charges, have been to prison a couple times. And, and over the last couple of years, we get them, we get them charged with something, and it seems like it's a revolving door and they're right back on the street. So I was seeing that component of it with all these charges being dropped, dismissed, uh, pled out to, to little to no sanctions. And at the same time, um, as one of my jobs with the sheriff's office in the last years, I was actually a major and a colonel running the jail system. And I spent a lot of time just chatting with the inmates in there. And what I came to learn and understand intimately was that you know, if I had 3,000 inmates in there, the vast majority of them were not bad people. They, they were people that didn't make great decisions. They were sometimes uh, left with diminishing options as far as they saw it. They, they had a they had an event that snowballed on them, and one thing that they didn't take care of led to something else, led to a warrant, led to them losing their job, led to them being short on cash, led to them doing another warrant for their arrest. And and you see them in this cycle, and, and nobody actually talking about fixing that aspect of it. And that was a good number of the people in there. Now, I also saw people that were in that jail that, that had no business being out on the streets because they were willing, capable, and ready of doing harm to the innocent folks in my community. And I'm not going to allow that. You've got mental health issues. You've got you've got drug addled issues focusing in there. And so I saw that happening. And then I looked at our state attorney's office and I saw an office that is not doing a good job differentiating between those folks that need compassion and a second chance and doing something substantive for them. Why do you think that is? Because it's all window dressing and narrative and not actual fixes. So if I can just come to you and say, hey, look, I've reduced the number of prosecutions we've done by 30%. Doesn't that sound good? I'm, I'm not putting as many people in jail. Doesn't that sound nice? Sure. See, but that, what are you doing? See, Mike, that's exactly the point I wanted. I, I, wanted, I was hoping that we'd get to because I spent some time teaching in the Hillsborough County School, mm -hmm. school District. And schools that had, because I was at, I taught at all these schools, 
schools that had a high number of suspensions or, or were looked at, or referrals from teachers were looked at as bad, bad schools. But they were also, also looked at as calm schools that had uh, provided a learning environment for the kids that were left. So how, how do we balance, how do, how do we let people know um, that, we, that, that, we can balance, that we balance that out? Just because you have uh, a higher number of arrests doesn't mean that the system isn't working and isn't working, for, isn't working for the community. It's visible on outcomes, and your point is well taken. And, and whether you're talking about juveniles in our school system, or juveniles in our criminal justice system, or adults in our justice system. Again, if I just say, hey, look, I'm not charging as many juveniles with adult crimes. Okay, good. What are you doing then to get their attention, to try to communicate to them effectively, don't continue engaging that behavior? Because if all you're doing is walking them out the side door with a slap on the wrist and they don't do that again, have you actually changed the thought process that that young person is going to employ three months from now, six months from now? Because as far as they know, because I was a kid too, when I didn't get in trouble and I did something wrong and not, there were no consequences for it, I was likely to think that I got away with it and I could do it again. And that's the wrong message. So I'm good with not wanting to keep our kids locked up. That's not a fix. That's not a system. But what are we diverting them to? And when you look at, when you pull back that layer, when you pull back the curtain of the Wizard of Oz, there is very little substance behind what we divert people to, whether it's mental health diversion, whether it's drug diversion, whether it's juvenile diversion. And we ha I want to build those resources within the community more effectively. It's interesting because, you know, I, I, I talked to some people who are in this community that uh, were supporting the current administration, and what, and what they were saying all the time was that, that we needed these diversion programs to keep especially youthful offenders from having these these serious criminal records being charged as adults, getting their charges uh, up, upgraded to federal federal charges, all this stuff. And it, it seemed like they were selling this, there will be these diversion programs to keep these kids from continuing on that path. But what you're saying is that all those things were, how we call it in, in, in the computer world, vaporware. Things that look great in a shiny um, handout, but never really existed. And the, well, and they exist, but th there, there's consequences for not doing it correctly. And so, you know, when you go look, oh, yeah, not, you don't have to take my word for it. Go sit in the courtroom, and when you see a juvenile getting diverted something, then go see what they were diverted to. Because what they were diverted to was don't get in trouble again and do a couple community service hours. Okay, no problem. I, nothing else. No, con look, most of these kids, what do they come from? Broken homes, single parent homes, or parents not around type situation. They come from s schools that are already struggling. They have diminishing opportunities and resources from get. So you need to connect them to mentors, to the pastors in the community, and not the pastor across town, and not a mentor for someplace they don't live because then they're not getting there to show up for anything. But mentors and pastors and people of strength and faith in their own neighborhood, of which there are plenty. But you have to build the mechanism for doing that. So what I envision, and I know this because I literally designed the misdemeanor probation program that Westbrook County is using right now and, and underutilizing, you could have a host of menu options for any given person. And again, we're talking about kids, but this equally applies to adults. So when I come in and I've committed some offense and we've decided that compassion is more appropriate than incarceration, so we're going to put you back on the street with some sort of a diversion effort, a probation effort, whatever it might be. 
We're going to have a drop-down menu list of all of these resources. Maybe I need to help you get some vocational training. Maybe you need to go back to school. Maybe you need to get hooked up with a local mentoring church leadership program. Something to try to get your thought process for what you think you should or shouldn't do in life to come this way and to start doing things differently. And if I'm able to tailor resources and needs from one accused person to the next, I'm gonna get better outcomes. And you know what else you get then? You get buy-in from the community. Because when I get this youngster and I put him over on this supervision, and I've given him all these opportunities now, and he's being literally part of the supervision, is utilizing folks that know him and are now aware of him from the community. When he starts goofing off and not behaving, you know who's gonna be calling me to say, okay, we gave an opportunity, come snatch him up. And the support comes there. Support builds trust. Trust and support build rapport and communication. And now nobody feels disenfranchised. Nobody feels like there's a machinery out here that's doing some bidding where they are treating certain segments of our community differently than how they treat other segments of the community. It's holistic. So have you been able to interface with um, some of these disadvantaged communities on what you just proposed to me? Yes, absolutely. How's been the reception? I have yet to have a conversation with somebody that doesn't embrace that idea. And, and sit there looking at me going, but why hasn't this been done before? Do they, because my next question is, is who they, do, do they believe you? Uh, because because after, you know, <laughs> after people have promised things for, for so often, and and they all and they always all, all, all sound good, after a while you go, yeah, everybody who's come through here has said that, and we've not seen that. How are you going to be able to be the difference maker and actually make these, these things happen and be responsible, be accountable, because I think there's a, a lack of accountability in politicians just, or people who are running for office in general. Um, yeah, they get very present every four years. Oh, you see them everywhere, and then all of a sudden they, they ghost you. Everywhere. I see it. It's like yeah, you sprayed for bugs, and it lasted for four years, and then, oh, got to spray again. Um, and usually people spray with money, and then people go yeah. away. Um, but how are you going to be able to convince that convince people, especially in the community that we're sitting in, that this isn't just another dog and pony show. So, you have to go look at my background and look at where I've been and what I've done. Right? And I started off telling you all, this is yep. my home. I'm not leaving. I haven't come here to do somebody else's bidding. This is my idea. This is, this is me simply following my gut instinct on what is the right thing to do going next. Um, I don't break promises. I don't make a lot of promises. When I talk to people about what I believe in, I have a track record of doing what I believe in and what I think is right, even sometimes to my own detriment, because maybe I should have kept my mouth shut or <laughs> I should have just stayed in my lane. We've all been there. But I believe that, that it is incumbent upon me to be a person who speaks truth. Does that mean that I will never make a mistake? Absolutely not. Does that mean that I will not trip on an, on an occasion from here or there? No. But what I am offering is somebody that, that I've demonstrated time and time again in my life to anybody that knows me, that I'm a person of, person of integrity, that I'm a person who only does things for the right reasons, for the, for the, for, at the right time, for the right reasons, and, and in a way that helps me sleep at night. And even though I've had very difficult jobs, right? I mean, think about it, being a major and a colonel, when I was a colonel, I had 1,600 employees running a jail, a $30 million budget plus. Um, people's lives literally hanging in the balance. I didn't, I didn't ever have a problem sleeping because I only made decisions based on what was the right thing to do, never about what was easy. 
what was expedient, what was politically correct. So what I offer, what I bring to the table, is something that I don't think the community is familiar with. You're looking at somebody that's never had a political aspiration in his life, and in fact has, has shunned it for his entire 48 years on this planet. But as I sat back listening to victims being upset because their voices weren't being heard, and I mean victims of all color, I mean, they've been on both sides where there have been people who have expressed their outrage and anger because they were treated like a file instead of like a real human being who had been harmed. Listening to law enforcement who's frustrated with their efforts in, in the breakdown in the relationship with that office and, and their, their efforts. Listening to defense attorneys, prosecutors that work there right now, all these frustrations coming out, and I sat back and I said, what this all stems from, in my opinion, is, is weak leadership. Because leaders have to be out there when it's tough. Leaders have to be the ones to make the hard decisions and be willing to own it and get out there in that thing. And, and I see, I, I look around and I see far too many people in positions of power that get very quiet at the most challenging times. They've always got a lot to say two weeks later after a push poll has been <laughs> taken and they figure out which way the media wind is blowing. Then yeah. they got a lot to say. Oh, that's but at the actual true. moment, all of a sudden, where are they? Where, where's the grandstanding? Where's the microphone? And I think that our community would appreciate more leaders that are willing to just speak the truth and, and own the ugly truth, own the difficulties, and find a way to forge forward. And that's all I want to do. I want to, I want to bring a community together. Quit, quit worrying about how many different faults there are to throw at all the current issues that lie before us here locally. And by the way, I ain't trying to say Portland, and I ain't trying to say anywhere else. This is our local town problem. You started off saying it just right. I can't help Washington, D.C. right now. I can't help other states. What we can do is elect the right people in our community that we love and then push that that theory and that philosophy up. And maybe some that started off with the right roots, with the right foundation, with the right mentality, make it to state levels. And then maybe some of them make it to federal levels after that. That's how you take care of your community. I agree. How do you, how do you build in your department with the people that um, will be your subordinates? How have you built a, a culture of integrity because you know often so often you may have a person who is in charge of something who, who, who is a person of integrity but these departments and these entities especially in government they don't all necessarily have a culture of integrity because sometimes the the entity or the agency becomes more important than anything and we see that at every level of government we see that at the federal government we see that in the uh, intelligence community, we see, that every, we see that everywhere, where the entity, the agency, it gets the loyalty over everything else. So how do you build in, in, in you know, when, as you're gathering staff and, sure. and dealing, how do you build a, a culture of integrity in the state attorney's office? So it starts with me, with an unwavering, abiding conviction that we serve the people, not the entity, period. We serve the people from a customer service standpoint, from an outcome standpoint, from a decision-making standpoint. If that is what my heart and mind are 100% committed to, and it's not negotiable, then the next task is finding people that are willing to commit with that same amount of zeal and commitment to that notion, right? It's not, it's again, not negotiable. Once I have found the people, then it's about supervision. It's about making sure that people don't lose their way. They don't start to fall off the path because they start worrying about protecting their own behind or start you know, worrying about what was in their best interest on something. I've been through this before because one of the reasons, I was already in-house counsel for the sheriff's office back in the late 2000s. 
I was sent to the detention department. I was sent to the academy. I was trained up to be a deputy. And then I was sent to be a commander in our jail system because we had been having issues with transparency, with accountability, with some high liability events that had given the agency a black eye. And so I already had the exercise of going to a place that had been struggling, struggling with decision making, struggling with their perception of what people were doing there and why, and being part of rebuilding that and giving it a new lease on life. And it's not easy, and it takes a lot of effort and energy, but I can tell you that in the eight years that I was either a major or a colonel at that, at that department, we went from a reality where we had multiple lawsuits pending, significant multiple lawsuits pending, to having one that had to do anything to do with what deputies did or didn't do at a certain time, and it was a relatively minor use of force that we resolved for $10,000 or something like that. That tells you how minor it was. It was literally a $10,000 resolution, and I fired that deputy. That's it, one in my years of being a commander of anything that was a deputy-driven action or decision that resulted in any sort of claimant, nothing else. So those are the results I care about. The results I'll care about as state attorney then is, I don't care what stats say, by the way. Metrics on crime rates down, this is down, this. I've known a lot of accountants. Accountants can always move numbers in a number of directions. There's one metric that you measure an office by. An office that is doing what? Serving your community. Go out and ask them. Go to every part of that community and say, how do you feel about the crime in your area? How do you feel about the way justice is being dispensed from this office? Do you feel like your tax dollars are being well spent? Do you feel like the men and women, the 130 attorneys that work for me, do you feel like they work for you? And if the answer is anything other than yes, we got work to do. We're not done. It's just for me, it's that simple. There's no finish line. You're never done. You've never, you've never climbed the top of the mountain and you can rest at the peak. It's a daily grind. You get new people in, people leave. You've got to get them thinking the same way. And that is what leadership is. Leadership recognizes that there's no end of the game. That, that, that's really good to hear because I personally haven't, haven't seen that from the, from the current administration. I haven't, seen that, I haven't seen that in a while, frankly. You uh, understand what you've got in there. The, the gentleman who's in there right now is not from our community. No. He was from Washington, D.C. and California. Comes from a lot of wealth. Literally the Silver Spoon person. He's sitting on a nine-plus million-dollar trust fund that's sitting behind him. And he was sent here. And he was sent here with a very specific um, narrative and a very specific purpose to, to implement this notion of what they're selling as a justice reform platform. But he had no real leadership experience. He had no, he had real, very little background of anything that would translate to an effective capacity to do this job. And so what you see is go listen to the man speak. You will hear what is fundamentally a recorded statement at almost every turn. It starts off all the same way whenever he makes a stump speech. It's the same speech. It starts off some to the extent of, and I can almost repeat it because I've heard it enough times now, four years ago we ran on a platform, on, on, a, on, a, on an ambitious platform of redefining how we do justice. It just goes on and on and on from there. That's a recorded statement. Leadership in life and running people and, and trying to be in charge of an office is not a recorded statement. That, that, is, that is on the fly decision making as circumstances change and a willingness to admit you are wrong and a willingness to rethink what you thought you had figured out a month ago and then somebody brought you new data and you go, no, we swung and missed at that one. Bring in the relief pitcher because this is not working. And, and, and I think that's just the difference from somebody who's been in an operational capacity and has already seen failure 
You know, I love cops. You know what else I know about cops? They make mistakes. I know that they're human too. I know some of them lie. I've seen it happen. That's what? the difference, having somebody in that office that does that. that People lie? Huh. What? Yeah, how about that? Isn't that surprising? People try to Shocking. cover? <laughs> Shocking. People try to cover themselves? You heard it here. <laughs> Breaking news. Well, you know, um, I think that that, that, sounds, that sounds great, Mike, and, and, I, and I hope that, that you're able to transfer what you've said to the important parts of the community for me. And you know, this is what we're what we're sitting is somewhere that I that somewhere I grew up. I've been in the I've been in the the, the three three six oh five pretty much my whole life, except for my time at, you know away at, at, at university. This has been my zip code my whole life. Um, I went to Eisenhower Junior High School. The first year was Eisenhower. Uh, we grew up in Providence Village, and in, 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 you know went into one nine. Yep. And so I've seen these communities that had really great promise get bogged down because of some of the things we talked about earlier. People who, who, who make a, a bad choice and then get in that spot, you know, get, get in that, that descending spiral, you know, within the criminal, criminal justice system. And there hasn't, you know, and there hasn't been options for them. And in some of these communities, and, and the bill is one of them, that was a great opportunity. And what's really hurt that them is that there's crime in you know when in those communities that hasn't been addressed. No, and, absolutely and, not. And, and, and I think that some of the some of the, the, the administration we're talking about now is really not addressing or serving those communities in a way to make them safer and being safer more prosperous. No doubt. No, look, I, I, my as a state attorney, I can't fix the issues with the school board. And how they dispense funds and how they address failing schools. Send an email. Come right. on, and, and, and I, give me a, and I, and I, throw me a bone, man. And I can't, I can't fix housing issues and affordable housing challenges that are in so many communities. But what I can appreciate right now, I got members of my community, and I know we like to break ourselves to different communities because if you're from Fishhawk, you're from Fishhawk, and if you're from South Tampa, you're from South Tampa. If you're from East Tampa, that's your community so only. So what's the gang sign They're for all, Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know it's, it's a dollar sign. Is what it is. I, it's a neatly manicured lawn and a, and a and a lot of restrictions on what color you can paint things. I, I will tell you that um, the way I see it and, and what I explain to folks is I, I look at my community right now, and there are there are places in my community where they are literally living between the proverbial rock and the hard place because on one hand. There's clearly been a bit of a breakdown and a mistrust between the law enforcement men and women that are supposed to be serving them and the community. Right? They feel like that they're that they're not out there doing our best interest. They're not out there looking out for us. They're out there putting us in danger in some cases, overreacting in some cases, over patrolling in some cases. And at the very same time, one block over, they know that there is a truly dangerous, violent person who is causing harm to their community, mm -hmm. whether it's vis-a-vis -vis the armed drug trafficking or running gangs or whatever the case might be. And so they've got a threat on this side and they're feeling a threat on the other side. And where are they going right now? Nowhere. And that's what you just talked about is that the current administration, they don't want to talk about what gun violence has done in East Tampa in, in 2020. They don't want to talk about the homicide and the, and the number of attempted homicides in East Tampa in the last two years. Those are all ugly, ugly statistics. They, they just want to sit back and say, oh, well, that's happening everywhere. Okay, well, I'm sorry, we're not everywhere. We, we aren't Chicago. 
we aren't New York. We, we aren't Philadelphia. We aren't Baltimore. We're Tampa. Tampa. Tampa was always something a little bit different, a little bit better. We were supposed to not have some of those issues. So I refuse to accept that, oh, well, dead bodies are just the way it's supposed to be. Guns and, and, and people catching rounds every three days. There was another shooting in Ebor last night. I haven't looked in the details yet. But we're averaging a shooting every two to three days in this county. That is outrageous. And, it, it's, and it's unacceptable. And anything that the, the response has been, well, it's up everywhere. Okay, you know what? Then I'll say, I'll, we'll just pack it in. Let's be done with it then. I guess it's just okay. I don't, I don't tolerate that. I, it, it's not okay. And there is a reason for it. There's a reason for it. The reason is because drug dealing right now is running off the hook. I, I'll tell you, the dealers that used to be running around with two or three grand in their pocket and you being careful about where they're doing their sales and, and business was good, but supply wasn't at an all-time high, demand is high, supply is high, and they don't have two to $3,000 now. They have twenty dollars to $25,000 in their pocket. And they're not walking around hoping not to be caught. They're walking around armed because they're starting to step on each other's toes. And that's a reality. And, I, and I'm not going to sit quietly by. I understand that as a, as a community, as a, as a society, we may become increasingly acceptable of marijuana. Okay. I work for the people. Good, bad, or otherwise. If people decide that weed's not a problem anymore, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I will follow instructions. I'm not looking to beat up people who just have a drug issue. I'm not looking at people that are addicts, people that need help on that stuff. That's not it at all. I want to get them help. But if somebody walking around with guns, somebody walking around at that level selling and slinging the dope on the streets, getting people hooked on things, because it doesn't, it doesn't, it might start with marijuana, but it doesn't always end there. It goes on to everything. Most everyone that I know that's selling weed out there has some other stuff in that trunk as well, or in that bag, or in that back seat. And look, I, I'm not even saying they're all bad people. But there are dangers and there are realities and there are harms to my and your community that if we're not willing to be honest about it, then again, you might as well just pack it in and move. And then come find me on the mountain when I'm living off the grid because I'm not playing with that kind of stuff. So why do you, I mean, other, other than, other than for, um, projecting the narrative, the, the, that narrative, why aren't these issues being actually talked about? You never, I mean, we've not read about any of these things in the local papers or not seen any news stories in the local news stories. We've not, we've not heard about any, any of the, any of these things in a real way that people can know about and partner with law enforcement on. Why is that? Because they're hard. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, that, I don't. I can't. Other, uh, the only other option I have is that there is a concerted effort to cover up and protect certain people, because I have handed homicide data on no less than half a dozen different homicides just this year in East Tampa where I was able to say here's the person that's in jail for this for this homicide charge now here's where they were just in jail being charged with serious felony offenses and those felony offenses were dropped or reduced or pled out to something that put that person right back on the street and two weeks later to two months later somebody is dead no less than six times Wow. And they will, they accuse me of cherry picking. I'm like, not cherry picking. These were the ones that just happened in the last time where I just would go back, I'd pull it, and look at it. Does that mean every person who's killed somebody in Hillsborough County this year was a hardened criminal that had just gotten out because of bad prosecutor, prosecutorial efforts? No. Does it mean that there's definitely a pattern and that some people are dead because of weak prosecution? Yes, wow. it does. Some. And some is not okay.
Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, we talk about um, the times of COVID and we and what we know about the about the disease now, and there are people who are in charge now who look at every single death as the worst thing that could possible happen that could possibly happen. And we know that COVID affects the, the old and the infirm. The science says so. It doesn't affect people who are young and healthy nearly as bad as, as the old and infirm, and we know that. But they act like whenever some somebody dies, like it's it's the end of the world that we need to, you know, duct tape ourselves in our homes. They have that mentality. Why aren't they having that same mentality with people who are dying on the streets of our own city in our own area? Well, then that question pushes me back to what I said was option B, that there is an intentional by design push to suppress certain notions, ideas, concepts, philosophies, and to protect and embolden others. And I don't claim to be uh, knowing enough to actually predict who's responsible for that or why it's happening. And, and again, at some point in time, deciding who is who is up to what no good or who is becomes irrelevant. We have a problem. It's a problem in our community. It's a problem in my home. It has multiple layers and issues going on with it. Fix it. You know what? If the media never once prints anything that I ever say or believe, I don't care if at the same time I'm being given the opportunity to help my community. That sounds great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. If there's anything that we can do here at PipingMedia.com to help you, Mike, just let, let's let us know. Um, because it's time for positive change, and I'd love to see positive change in a place that I'm 60. I've been here all my life, and there's a really good chance that I'll be here for the rest of it. However long that happens to be, I'll be here for the rest of it. And I'm looking forward to, to seeing that, that state attorney's office actually interface with the people in, the, in this community in a, in a positive way so we can look different than we than, than we have all the time that I've grown up here. You know, you've grown up here. You've seen communities that were palmetto bushes 30 years ago that are beautiful now. A lot and of orange groves are gone. A lot of cow pastures are gone. And, and now it's big old developments and complexes and when we become a huge we become a huge community and now you and, and now you come to this area and you go it doesn't look much different than it did 15 20 30 years ago the resources have gone in a different direction and and that is you know, again those some of those decisions that I can't necessarily directly impact but I can at least impact your part whether or not people safe in their neighborhoods and, that, and whether or not they feel makes, like they're well served by the minimum that wearing a mask makes a, and that will make a difference in everything else agreed so yes, you know what y'all can do to help? There's like five days left to vote. Get five out days. there and vote if you haven't voted already. I, I need the votes. I've got a very good chance of pulling off this upset and it will be an upset because a, a no name, uh, you know, first time uh, political candidate is not supposed to be able to, to defeat the powerful, uh, very well backed by, by outside source money incumbent. And yet, the grassroots effort and the frustration that people are feeling right now by, by being constantly sold what they believe is not much more than a line and, and some some window dressing is having an effect. So folks, if you, if you live in Hillsborough County and you have not voted yet, I'm asking you for to consider giving me your vote. Um, I will not let this community down. It's not in my nature and it's not something that I can live with or tolerate. You can find more information about me at www.mikeperotti, and that's P-E-R-O-T-T-I, mikeperotti.com. Look for me on Facebook, 
we're always putting a lot of stuff. I've put a lot of videos on Facebook with my ideas about diversity, with my ideas about making sure that we've got good accountability for how our job is being done. And I'd love for you all to watch those videos. And certainly you can always email me directly if, uh, if you want to through my website. And I'm always happy to respond to any emails or questions about things I believe in or what I plan to do with this office. Well, that's exciting. Uh, listen, guys, you guys who listen to the podcast, you all know that when you watch these videos, what you can actually do is that you can make sure that you share them, that you IM, IM them to your friends who haven't voted yet, because that need, because mar that, that is our marketing budget. You are our marketing budget. This is how we get information spread. Some of, this, some of this information Facebook doesn't want spread, and that's just our, our reality here on social media. They don't want it spread, but they can't stop us from sharing it in emails. They can't stop us from sharing it underground like, you know, like we do on Fight Back Media. So y'all know, know what to do. Y'all know how to do it. Uh, I, uh, this video, I, I mean, the, the, this podcast will be up in a little bit. And um, if you have questions, send me an email at fightbackmedia at gmail.com. I'll make sure that uh, Mike gets the, um, the question and the email, and I'm sure he'll get back to you post-haste. Right, right now, he's five days away from winning an election, so he's a little busy right now. So, again, I appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Thank you again. My pleasure. Mike, um, I don't believe in luck, because if you believe in luck, the only luck that you have is bad luck. Um, I believe in doing the work, and it's, and it's obviously obvious you're doing the work. Thank you for spending some time with us. And I will see you in the state attorney's office in a few days. Your lips to God's ears, and thank you all for the opportunity, and everybody be safe out there. Take care now. Thank you. Okay, that was my interview with Mike Perotti, a Republican candidate for state attorneys here in Hillsborough County. Um, please just go to his website, go to the Facebook page, Mike Perotti. Uh, dot com and however you can help help you know what you heard the guy you know what I, I watched him um, I believe him and I think that some of the things he talked about are things that we need to implement in Hillsborough County anyway thanks again for your time until we see you again go out there and learn something love somebody and for goodness sakes y'all take care of yourself we will see you when we see you bye bye now Adventure awaits around every corner at Jungle Expedition, a new immersive area at King's Dominion. Embark on a journey of mythic sights and sounds as you make your way towards Tumbili, the all-new 4D spin coaster. Buckle into unique free-spinning seats and tumble through the jungle. By the end of this whirling ride, you'll be head over heels, literally. Plan your visit to Tumbili and Jungle Expedition at kingsdominion.com. Scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Available in different prices and varieties at a lottery retailer near you. The Virginia Lottery. Every day wins. For odds and more information, visit VALottery.com.